Welcome everybody back to another episode of Investors Gallery. Um, and thank everyone on uh, YouTube and the 15 or 20 different podcast outlets that we have going. We really appreciate you. Now we're starting to stream uh, internationally, which is really cool as well. So for the people who are new, um, this platform was built for individuals who do not typically have access to investors or high net worth individuals or very specialized individuals like we had a gentleman on that does cost se segregation. So we wanted to be able to provide an outlet and communication with these individuals like this amazing young man that I hear, uh, have here, Trevor, to be able to communicate with them, talk to them live, ask them questions live and be able to get live feedback. Also here, uh, we are in the office that I built. Um, it's called Investors Gallery because I built this office and I also built the art gallery that's on the other side of the room. Um, and one day I'll finish it. It's 95% finished, but I haven't finished out the rest of it. So welcome everybody to Investors Gallery. I have an amazing gentleman. And I don't know if you've heard this, Trevor, um, but an amazing marketer. He's very consistent, which is extremely important in our space, but I'll let him go into that as well. So Trevor, introduce yourself. Let us know what you do, how you got into it. And somewhere in there, let us know what K stands for. Okay. All right. We'll start out with the K. So my legal name is Keith, but I'm a junior and I've never been called Keith. And when I turned 16, I bought a car and I had savings bonds that said Keith, some that said Trevor, some that said Keith Trevor. And I worked for a guy that used his first initial and thought, that's it. I'm going to be K Trevor. So, but my legal name is Keith, but I do go by Trevor. I'm originally from Canada, spent most of my life in the attractions and entertainment business. So started working for Ripley's Believe It or Not at the age of 13 and did that for five years through high school, then worked for Guinness World of Records uh, for 18 years and actually managed the rights for Guinness in North America. So I ran another location that the company owned in New York City in the Empire State Building opened a franchise location on Hollywood and Los Angeles. Wow. And then I started a consulting company, helping companies open up visitor attractions, eventually moved to Orlando to open a Guinness. The deal fell through. So strangely enough, I ended up opening a year round haunted house. Um, it was scary business. Unfortunately, we didn't make that much money, but I learned a lot. And then I got recruited by iFly Indoor Skydiving. And I spent over 20 years with iFly. Interestingly enough, at our very first team meeting, the original owner gave everybody a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad and said, you need to figure out how to make passive investing. But instead, I just focused on my career and I did everything. And then eventually we got bought up by a private equity company. And so it gave me some liquidity that I had no excuse to not start looking into passively investing in real estate. So I've been very active in the passive investing so far. I'm a limited partner in investing in 20 different syndications. And wow. now I'm switching to the general partner side, which is the person that arranges the syndication. And I'm on my second deal right now. Um, so I'm going to be switching over to active. And then eventually I'll switch back to passive once uh, I you know, reach a certain level that uh, I don't want to do the active side anymore because it's a lot of work still. You have activated uh, buttons that don't normally get activated with me. I am a, I'm not a serial preneur, 
but I was born into a family of entrepreneurs. So when you said you transitioned into uh, doing your own consulting, that, that gets me excited. So yeah. even though this is not yet multifamily related, I have questions. Yeah, so yeah. how did, how? So you, you knew the business because you've been yeah, in the so business. I, for a long I time. knew the business. Um, I, I mean, I started at the age of 13, right? So, I mean, I literally started sweeping the floors and handing out marketing materials. And I mean, I learned everything right from the bottom up. And eventually, you know, I, I again, I started just a young kid summer job and then worked my way all the way up to where I was running a pretty successful business. And I got to the consulting by just purely by networking and bringing values to other. So the first big contract I got, I was so in theory, managing the rights for Guinness was a consulting agreement. I worked for a franchise location and got their permission on the side to manage the rights for Guinness for North America and going to the Empire State Building, helped open the Hollywood, the wax museum of Guinness in Hollywood. And then I actually helped them open a Hollywood Wax Museum in Branson, Missouri. So I did everything they needed to do. And it was something that was a skill set that, you know, and it was just in my blood to be an entrepreneur, right? My, my, I always wanted to learn and do things. And just by putting myself out there and learning, then offering how to help somebody, um, that's what sort of built in the career. Okay. So that, that turns out to be even more significant than I thought. So the reason why I wanted to dig into you transferring um, from let's say a W-2 to a W-9, you went from working for someone in a specific industry to technically I'm going to officially do this on my own, even though you were con it was contract work and it was kind of- yeah, but it was in, more in theory, I was doing both simultaneously. I was very fortunate because I was really good at what I did. I said, listen, if you don't let me do both, I'm going to move on because I got, I got bigger things to do. They were quite happy with what I was doing. And they said, hey, as long as you can continue to do this and it doesn't affect. And I worked very hard to make sure it didn't affect. Um, I worked very hard to make sure that uh, I still gave them everything that that company needed. And, you know, it was a lot of work, but it in turn, it helped me to be able to develop myself. And to be honest, their creativity and allowing me to do it, I learned things and other experiences that I brought back to my day job and made that place better and made it more money. Um, you know, so it was always, and a big portion of my compensation, almost 50% was incentive-based anyways. So our goals were all very much aligned. So even though it was a job, it was a very entrepreneurial job, right? So the, I just got a profit of, of what we called EBITDA, which basically it's the earnings before depreciation taxes and, and interest. And I got a percentage of that. And, you know, so we, our interests were very aligned, even though, and, and so they were entrepreneurs as well and allowed me to be one. That's and it didn't start that way. It grew into that um, okay. because again, I worked hard. And so what's the, what I find significant about that for those who are watching, listening, or will be watching or listening is. Trevor, as you know, the way that we're successful in multifamily, and I'm laughing on the inside because my last episode was 
probably the first time that I mentioned my company, which is Dimensional uh, uh, Capital Partners. And obviously we do multifamily uh, syndications and developments. Um, but the way we're successful is we add value to others and we network. The way you were able to transition from working as an employee to an entrepreneur was you added value and you networked. Yeah, and yeah. that's what I wanted to dig into because I've been in a position and I know many people are in a position where they have an amazing story and I beat this every, every episode, but they never really explain. You'll hear something similar like, I lived in Arkansas and I had no money, so I moved to Texas. And most people are like, oh, wow, that's a great story. And I'm like, but you didn't have any money in Arkansas. So how did you move to Texas? Because you didn't have money. And sometimes I didn't have money just means, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, but I've been poor, I've been homeless, I've been broke, and I've also, you know, had a lot of success in my life. So when I hear that I was really broke or whatever, I think zero dollars in the account. And that's one of the reasons why I dig a little bit. So to expound on that, to shed light on you were once an employee and this is how you moved. I think a lot of people miss that. And I, and I hope it doesn't bother you. I'll do that a lot because yeah. I want to pull those nuggets out from the conversation. So you were employee and you moved to entrepreneurship, but this is how you were able to be successful. So that gold nugget is you networked and you were already in the business. So you were networking while you were, while you were an employee and yeah. you added value to others. So then it kind of, when it was your turn, they had no problem adding value to you. I think it is how to win friends and influence people. Influence people, Dale Carnegie. Yeah, yeah. how to, The interesting yeah. thing is when I started it, I actually started adding value without compensation. Um, I knew these people, I became friends with these people. And I started adding value without compensation. You know, I started just, hey, do you need any help? Can I help you out here? And then all of a sudden they saw my value and they said, well, we want more of you. And I said, well, to get more of me, we have to switch our arrangement from <laughs> me just helping you to some sort of consulting. We basically was always a consulting agreement. Um, mm -hmm. And I never did any agreements that had anything other than like they could just say goodbye if it wasn't working out right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wanted it to be like, I wanted them to want me to be there. Right. And, you know, and it always was goal driven and it was always very much success reward. In other words, if I made them successful, um, there was there was an upside and opportunity for me as well. So it made it easy for them to start because, you know, I would always base it that about half of my compensation was always based on success. So a lot of people are afraid to get people or bring people in to do things because, you know, you spend all this money and you get nowhere, right? How many people have hired a web developer to mess up your website, right? Mm -hmm. It just happens all the time. But if you could find somebody who said, listen, I got a skill set, let me help. And when your website starts generating money, all I want is a little bit of the money till I reach this level. Wow, what a better opportunity, right? What a way to add value to somebody with some sort of deferred compensation that creates this win-win environment, right? It's very important to create that win-win environment. Um, and a lot of consulting isn't done that way, right? Um, a lot of consulting is done very much like, 
you know, this is what you paid for. This is what you get. This is yeah. all I'm going to give you. And, you know, that's, that's the difference between, I guess, entrepreneurial and consulting. So I want to go forward, but backwards, because typically my next question or my first set of questions is, um, okay, now how did you get into multifamily? But I want to ask you this question before I forget. How do you use the win-win mentality and the add value mentality in the multifamily space? Yeah, so definitely. So the, the win-win mentality is, so I'm, I'm going to buy an apartment complex that needs to get made better. So I'm going to make it a better place for the residents to live. I'm going to make it a better place for the team members that run the apartment complex, a better place to work. And, ex and what happens with that is when people invest money doing that, they now get good returns on their investments and they get to go do their why. So it's kind of a complementary accelerating thing, right? So give people a better place to live, give people a better place to work. That's going to re result in better returns for investors, which again, creates more investors, more deals, more opportunities. Um, and so everybody gets something, right? Like, so this person gets a nicer, safer place to live. Um, everybody wants a nice place to work, right? Property management is tough business. And so you want to create this environment where, you know, they're trying to create a community. And then all of that makes the investors successful because, you know, people are getting good rewards. And so you have good profits. And then the investors can use that for whatever they need for their, whatever I'm going to call it their why, right? So their why could be, I just want to go lay on the beach and retire. Their why could be, I want to put my kid in, in college. Their why could be, I want to get myself out of a dot job and be able to do, everybody's why is different. And the beauty of it is, is everybody can get it. How, okay, so let's now go to first questions, which are normally the first questions. So you're in the, let's call it the entertainment space. Yeah. How did you, well, besides the, the book, Robert's book, I say Robert, like I know, I know Robert, yeah. we're, we're pals. <laughs> yeah. um, how from the entertainment space in conjunction with that book, did you translate that into multifamily? What, what provoked you for multifamily? Yeah, so I was always interested in real estate, but I didn't quite understand the path to get there. Just like everyone else, I was afraid of toilets, tenants, and trash, and I just didn't want to get there. And so it really intimidated me. And then I, several of the people that I did business with, you know, and, and with iFly, by the way, you know, I opened 46 of our 80 locations. So I was very much into like real estate selection and doing things and helping and, you know, getting things permitted and done. So there was a lot of real estate involved in what I did and helping pick locations. So I was always fascinated with real estate, but I just didn't quite understand how to get there. And then one of my closest friends, actually my partner in the, in the haunted house that I opened, he was very successful in the retail space. So I actually spent a lot of energy and time with him and we opened up a, a store together and I started being quite fascinated with the retail space. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me when I started getting educated okay, how much more powerful multifamily was than all other commercial classes. It is easier to get money for. It's easier to get better financing terms. It has more 
tax benefits than anything. I mean, you start adding up all of the things that you got and it was like this, I never thought of all this. Because originally, again, I spent like a year trying to get into a mentor program to buy offices and or retail. And I just never quite got it to gel. I still like that space and I still want to do some. And I actually still have some passive investments in that space. But, and then all of a sudden, I just saw the power of multifamily. And then all of a sudden, what I talked about earlier, my whys, all of a sudden, like, I couldn't get excited making, I mean, yes, I knew you could live your dream if you opened up your karate store in my retail strip center and you, you would be able to, but I was only impacting few people. And when I started to see the power of multifamily that I can have a hundred apartments and infect a hundred families and make things better for them. And then, you know, maybe four or five team members in the thing and then multiple investors, I started kind of seeing, wow, this is something that suits my personality. It also suits my skill set because I love managing small businesses. That's what I did for my whole life. I love incremental improvements. I did that for my whole life. So, so many things started to gel and it was just like this big light bulb came on. And to be honest, I'm still learning. I spend like insatiable amounts of time trying to get educated about what I'm learning and still learning. It's a, it's a very vast area. Um, but I, I just, and to be honest, I never thought I'd get this passionate. I just never, and that's what entrepreneurship really is, right? Entrepreneurship is doing what you love to do, whether you got paid for it or not. And right. if you're really good at it and you find the right thing to do, you're always going to get paid for it, right? But right. in theory, you know, I used to say, man, I loved opening iFly locations. You know, they'll never tell the boss this. I'd come to work for free because this was such a cool job. Um, you know, now I've got this in the multifamily space that, wow, this is really exciting. And that's how you can kind of ignite, right? Because if it's just, we're going to, if it's just accounting and numbers and buildings, and it's not people, I'm not interested. And it was a little bit that's, you know, even though I still like retail and there's still a purpose for it, right? Um, and there's still good value in it. That's just why I got more drawn into multifamily. Who presented you your first LP deal and how did you yeah, find so it? So I joined a local Texas mentoring program and, uh, you know, they presented the deals and um, um, I, I invested in the deals. I've learned a lot since then. Um, strangely enough, my first two passive investments only gave me my capital back. I didn't even make any money, so, but it didn't discourage me because I saw the mistakes they made and how I could do different things differently. And, you know, so sometimes mistakes are bigger learning opportunities than successes are. In fact, yes. they always are. Yes. Um, it wasn't a mistake, but it was just, I really wanted to analyze it. Um, and I wanted to talk about it more than they wanted to talk about it. So just, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> they stopped talking to me. I just said, man, I want to learn. I'm not here to like Monday yeah. morning quarterback you. Let's, yeah. Let me learn why we weren't successful yeah. so that I don't repeat that mistake. Like, yeah. let me at least get that earning out of my, out of, you know, not making any money on my money. Um, now, since then, I've had deals and they're doing much better and I've gotten better at picking them and, uh, mm -hmm. You know, and that comes with time and comes with education and it comes with finding good people that want to do good things. And yes. when you give them your money, um, they're going to do the things that I, I'm not the only guy doing what I've talked about, right? And right. there's a lot of people doing what I talked about. You just need to find them. You need to get familiar with them. And so. If you could go back with, I say with the knowledge, but that's not really fair. 
But if yeah. you can go back and start over again, would you still go back as an LP or would you try to do oh, it? Oh, definitely. LP? Definitely go back as an LP. And it, also, if I could go back, man, if I had started real estate in my 20s, not in my 50s, my life would be significantly different. Significantly. Yeah. You know, they always say, what's the, when's the best time to buy real estate? Yesterday. And yes. the second best time is today. Um, so my biggest thing was, you know, I knew about it. I liked it. I saw the value of it, but instead, you know, I did what everybody does, right? I got on the hamster wheel and I spun around in circles and, you know, I always like these funny jokes, right? You know, my boss, he brought a Ferrari to work, right? And everybody went, wow, that's a nice car. And he goes, yeah, if you work hard next year, I'll get another one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, he, he, but that's true, right? He, he, yeah. he bought a Ferrari and, and hey, if you keep working hard next year, I'm going to buy the, the, another one for my wife. Or, you know, he never said that, but I, yeah, I saw a cartoon. <laughs> and it was just, it's very much so, right? That, that you know, um, you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, now, don't get me wrong. People need jobs. They need to get, and they need to do what they like to do. And going active on real estate investing is definitely not for everybody. Um, and passive, every deal needs passive investors yeah. and, and you can still do very well as a passive investor. You can still earn all kinds of good, good returns. Um, and you know, so, it, and that's also just a great thing about it. Yeah. Um, so 20 deals previously as an LP, uh, for those listening, LP is limited partner. GP is general partner. General partner means you are equity owner and LP means you are a passive, uh, not passive owners, passive income, but you are uh, an investor in it, but you do not have, you're basically a silent partner. You just don't yeah. have any say so in it. <laughs> I got a great way to describe that. Go ahead. So this is it. So, so the, the active people are, so the people that do the deal are like the airline. Okay, so there's an airplane. That's the apartment complex. There's a pilot, that's the GP. There's people that fix the plane. That's the property management company. There's people on the plane, the stewards and the stewardesses that take care of the customers and make sure everything's good. So the passive investor buys a ticket. So they buy a portion of the deal. They get on the airplane. They're going to their destination. Sometimes there's a little turbulence, but hopefully you got a great crew and they take care of it, right? If a deal's got some stuff going on. Yeah. And you can choose what you're going to do on your airplane ride. You can work. You can read a book, you can sleep, you can talk to your family, you can do whatever you want to do. And the airplane ride takes a certain amount of time, just like an investment takes a certain amount of time. And when you get to your destination, that's when the deal is over and you know, you're going to reap the rewards. And that's a very simple way to look at it. So your only responsibility is to buy a ticket to get mm -hmm. on this ride. Mm -hmm. And then you leave everything. So you do not want me flying your airplane. Okay. You do not want, because it's not my skill set, but on an apartment complex, I've got certain skill sets that are very applicable to what we're going to do. So you got to make sure. So when I started out, man, I shouldn't have been a pilot. I, I had to go on the plane and I had to learn. And luckily I learned and pilots let me come and sit in the co-pilot seat and I started to learn some stuff and maintenance let me watch how they changed the tire or build whatever it was. And I learned all these things by connecting with people that were doing them. And that helped me get to my next level. But, but as a passive investor, you're basically buying a ticket for a ride, like on an airplane. 
And that is the easiest way for you to go, oh, I get it now. Is that is that licensed and registered? Because I'm going to use that if it's not. It's not. It's not. I, I stole it from somebody else, uh, okay. one of the mentors, actually, <laughs> who wrote, anybody interested in passive investing should always read James Kamasami's book, Passive Investing. And he okay. used that description in that book. And I always recommend anybody starting out and looking to passively invest. It is the most kind of comprehensive look at a very yeah. high level of it is. what you should consider. It is, and, and how you're able to break that down into the property management and the operators and the LP and G. Yeah, he doesn't go into detail. I expounded those. So I'll take the credit. And, and the LP sit in the back. Yeah. And you get to the destination at the same time. And if the GPs mess up, everybody dies. <laughs> Let's but hope that doesn't happen. It's a very, it's a very accurate, you know, yeah. uh, analogy. So yeah, I will definitely be using that, but I'm gonna give you the credit when I, when I say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so out of the 20 uh, passive investments, uh, passive investments as an LP, what caused you to now switch over to be active, an active investor? So the, the biggest thing that happened was I got let go during COVID and I was, I still needed to do something and I still, I, it was always my ultimate goal, right? I wanted to start learning, but I had, you know, in theory, I was, you know, I still wanted to work for a few more years, you know, get closer to 65. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, and, you know, and I was still planning to do some active deals, but I think that to be really good at being an active sponsor, you have to have the freedom. You know, I don't want to invest in a deal from somebody who can't answer the property manager's phone call Monday to Friday, nine to five, because they're at work, yep. right? And so I believed, okay, if I'm going to get really serious about this and be a, a lead sponsor on a deal, I need to be, it needs to be my full-time job. And so I said, listen, you know, I got let go during COVID, so I'm going to switch. I'm going to do, do this. And my ultimate goal is to switch. And then what I want to do is, so I'm going to switch. So people took me under their wing, right, and helped me along. And so my goal is to reciprocate that once I reach a certain level and help be a lead sponsor and help other people get on deals. And then my ultimate goal is not to be as active, but to be like a mentor to people. You know, they need people to sign on bank loans and have the, all the different things and let somebody else learn and do the work while I help manage them and mentor them. Um, mm -hmm. And then to be honest, then I'm going to take it all out and put it into land. So I'm going to be Starbucks and Walgreens and CVS's landlord. Then I'm going to die and my kids are going to inherit it. Yep. At the stepped up value without taxes. Talk about like they always say that you two things you can't escape are death and taxes. It's not true. If you play your cards right in real estate, you can die and, ex and beat the taxes when wow. you give it to your heirs. A lot of people don't know that. So it sounds morbid, right? But that's my that's my legacy that I'm leaving for my family, right? They don't want to run the businesses. They don't want to do the things. And, and just getting checks from a triple net tenant, which is a retail mm -hmm. firm. Was, triple net tenant means they take care of everything to do with the building. And they just pay you the right to sit on your dirt. Um, and so it's very unlaboring. It's the, like, it's the, you don't make as much money but it's the, the creme de la creme of steady income. Yeah. And again, once I'm, once I'm 90, hopefully I live to 90 before I give it to my kids, then, you know, by then I won't want to be doing all that extra work. And then, mm -hmm. then they'll, they'll get it. Um, 
from that way. So I'm going to ramp up inactive quite a bit, ramp back down, go 100% passive. Um, I also have a thing on my vision board that I'm three apartment complexes that I'm going to be the majority general partner owner of them. And they'd be a quality that I would live in. And they'll be in states wow. that I want to live in. And my goal is I'll be that crazy old guy that wanders around talking to the <laughs> you know, and my goal is nobody will know that I actually own the place, but yeah. I want to be able to go there and make sure that that my tenants are getting, you know, the kind of quality care that I would like to see them get. And then I got another epiphany. Maybe I need to get an old folks home too. So um, <laughs> senior assisted living is the next big boom for real estate. Yes, um, it I is. I haven't got into it yet, but it's the next big boom, right? We're all getting old and yep. we're all living way longer than we were used to live. And so mm -hmm. now we're going to need places that can take care of us because the, the normal working family with mom and dad both working, um, they can't bring in grandma and grandpa and take care right. of them like they could right. back at, right. you know, when my parents were, you know, doing it. There was, you know, um, my, my in-laws that their mother lived with them until she passed away. Yep, the dynamics have definitely changed. It's, yeah. It sounds like you thought about this for a minute or two. Yeah, yeah, I guess I do. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're you're in uh, active now. How difficult was it to raise? I'm I was trying to figure out how to phrase the question, but being an LP, um, you give money. You find it. You find a deal. You find an operator or a team who seems like they know what they're doing. But now you're switching over to active. How difficult was it to raise money on your first deal? Very hard. Very hard. Um, and part of it was I didn't plan it right. Right. And I, and I came from I came from an environment where there were not a lot of high net worth people. So I wasn't like I worked at Dell. And I was working with a lot of people that were making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. And I was in the, you know, executive management team. You know, I worked for iFlying or skydiving. And, you know, those were guys that had a second job to stay alive and, you know, pay all the bills. Yes. And so it was a little bit different. So I didn't spend the time sort of recruiting these people. I just didn't kind of put the things together. And then I did a lot of energy out there where I attracted people. The problem was... I didn't attract investors. I attract people that were doing the same thing as me. So they're all saying, well, listen, Trevor, I'm saving my money for my deal. And just like now when people say, well, you passively invest in my deal, I'm saying, I'm saving my money for my deal because every general partner should put money in their own deals, right? Never invest in a deal that the general partner doesn't have more than their fees that are coming to them in the deal, more than. Um, you want to make sure that that's the case. But so it's, it's just, you know, it's the way it is though. How much was your first raise? So my first raise, I was supposed to raise 500,000 and I raised 280. 280, okay. Um, I have never not heard the first rate, no matter what it is, was not insanely difficult. Yeah. Um, my, my partner tells me about, um, I'm not gonna say their names because they're huge now, but my partner always tells me about a, a friend of ours, Bill, I think their first building was 13 units or 18 units or something like that. And now they have thousands of units and every deal seems like it was pulling teeth. And, you know, and I, yeah. I think that's kind of the rite of passage, <laughs> unfortunately. It, it, it definitely is. And it's definitely a skill set 
And and it also builds as you build credibility, right? I yeah. mean, you think about it, right? You're given, you have worked so hard to get 50,000 after-tax dollars. I mean, you've worked for years to get that kind of money and then to turn around and give it to somebody for something you still don't quite understand. Right. Um, it, it's a big, it's a big ask, right? Now, once you understand it, you know, it's a little easier to, 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 to do it. And once you see the power of, of successful investments where the money comes back to you and you start getting cash flow and then, you know, you, they go full cycle. Because um, a lot of the deals, most of the money's made at the end of the cycle. There's still cash flow and different things, yeah. but a lot of deals are like that. Um, so it, it's very challenging. It is very challenging. Um, how many people are on your current GP team? So on the current deal, we have more than we needed. And there was a bit of method to the madness. So there's seven of us on it, which is a little more than we wanted. Um, and we're normal. <laughs> and normal. So there was three of us that did the deal. And then I'd met two gentlemen that I really wanted on my deal. So we basically said, listen, we're going to give them a small role. They, they're super guys. They're going to be my future big time partners. Um, but they just switching from single family to multifamily. So we mm -hmm. brought them in, you know, and, and my, it was sort of what I wanted to call my first mentoring students, almost like we're going to bring you in. You're going to see everything. You're going to help with everything. You're going to help me with what I'm doing on the deal. And then we did bring in because we knew we didn't have the capital raising. We did bring in two guys that could raise money because um, mm -hmm. we knew we needed two guys that could raise money. Uh, mm -hmm. And they have, and, you know, they've made our deal successful and, you know, and we may not, we're, we're hoping, you know, seven's a lot. So we'd like to get a little more manageable, but as a core team, you know, we're still okay. Um, you know, cause again, I'd rather be part of a rockstar team and have the capability to do many more deals. Right. Cause we've got enough bandwidth within the group to do a lot more deals. Yeah. And it's difficult to find a team. It's difficult to find people, first of all, with a skill set. And especially if you're coming from um, a non-real estate or non-technical, you know, background or, or industry to find someone who, hey, I need an underwriter and be able to meet or communicate with an underwriter until or unless you're going to like, you know, the meetups or the, the conferences. What is your uh, position on your team? What is your 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 role? So asset manager, asset manager, because okay. that's my skill set. You know, uh, I mean, I love running small businesses. I love incremental improvements. I live an hour and ten minutes from the property, um, so that that's that's my role on the team. Awesome, and yeah, you probably have a lot of experience with that from uh, from iFly, right? That's correct. And I actually volunteered as an LP on a deal that was struggling for set for 10 months. I was asset volunteer asset manager. Um, and that turned into it's quite an interesting story. Um, it was a very struggling asset. Um, it was my first deal I made no money on. Um, I actually helped out a current asset manager and found out a bunch of things that weren't correct on what he was reporting back up. They removed him. Then they decided they were going to remove the property manager and I would self-manage. So here I am, brand new, self-managing 176 door deep value add. And then COVID happens and all kinds of wow. things happened. We ran out of money for CAPA. It was just, it was this snowballing thing that all kind of 
but I could never have paid for that education. You, mm -hmm. you just, you can't get that, right? I mean, I call it being thrown in the deep. I used to say they threw me in the deep end and every once in a while when I would ask for a life preserver, they would just throw another 25 pound weight at me. Um, <laughs> you know, they'd say toughen up and figure it out. Um, and so you, again, very stressful at the time and in the moment, but what I learned was, was like a lifetime of lessons in 10 months, really. You basically were in the Marines of multifamily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was a tough deal. I mean, I mean, it was so tough. I had armed security for a while. Um, our plumber wouldn't come to the property because he got robbed. So I would, I would sit at his truck so his truck didn't get broke into and, sto and his tools stolen. Literally, oh, I would wow. there, sit under a tree and watch his truck because I could still get Wi-Fi and work with my <laughs> little hat on because he was the best plumber in town at the best rate that knew our property. It was, it yeah. was just bizarre, the things I had to do. Um, wow. Yeah. But, but again, when you do that, you start to get resourceful and mm -hmm. you learn things. Now, I don't want to be sitting under a tree watching. <laughs> it's not my ultimate goal in life. Right. But what did I learn? Right. I learned the things that, that sometimes you just got to do. Right. Yeah. That man, you have no idea how many memories that brought back. So I've been, I've been doing carpentry construction since I was, I, I say seven, it was probably earlier than that, but I don't want to get my, my parents and my grandparents in trouble, which seven is already still too young. That's but I remember growing up. So I learned construction and carpentry in Detroit because that's where my dad um, was living. Uh, and I remember <laughs> we were walking the store and we will literally walk in the store and walk back out and half the tools will be gone. Now, mind you, it's Detroit. You should know better. A, a, lot, of the, a lot of the rumors are now true. Um, they wasn't as true back then. They were just kind of, you know, folklore. But yeah, it, that, that's the thing. And it's funny because here in Houston, and I'm sure in uh, San Antonio, some areas are bad, but it's not the same. And I, I'll drive and see uh, like new builds and it's, it's stacks of bricks outside. And I'm like, in Detroit, all of that will be good. <laughs> so yeah, you gave me a, a nice little flashback to my childhood. Uh, we've bought a lot of rock rollers <laughs> because of that, stuck them in a truck. Uh, yeah, I, this, I've had a lot of memories from that. Um, but another thing to kind of pivot from that is people see the result. I don't think they necessarily think about the time and the effort. They don't think about the 10 hours you spent behind the laptop trying to figure the numbers out, the 100, 200 deals that you had to go through to find five deals that penciled to walk all five deals and either put a bid on two of them and lose a bid or no, none of the five deals work. So you had to go back to the next 100, 200 deals. And I don't yeah. think people really see that. No, and they now, have no idea. And, and, and education mentoring groups don't ever teach that. They just teach you how easy it is and what you do. And, uh, you know, and another thing they don't teach you is, is you know, when, when, when you put, like, especially current, when we got a deal, you know, you put hard money at risk. Um, my first big GP deal, um, we lost $350,000 of earnest money at six months. That's a lot of money. 
That's a lot of money. It's gonna take, uh, mine was, I only had a smaller portion of that, but that's a big lesson in life. Um, you know, it's gonna take a lot of acquisition fees to reverse that. Right. Um, so, so again, you know, a lot of people, oh, I don't understand why they take an acquisition fee or an asset management fee. Um, you're not getting, if you're getting rich on those, shame on yep. you. They, yep. they are what I'm gonna call the cost and rewards of business. You definitely should be making some money on them and doing things, but but they're supporting the infrastructure for you to go take the risk, right? It's like the right. airline buying the airplane and paying for the insurance and doing all the things. Right. You know, they're at risk. Yeah, um, that's one of the the things that I teach to my students is the fun part about the acquisition fee, but why it's almost necessary, and. The thing is, you start, you always, you have to start from zero. I, I haven't met anybody in this industry who doesn't start from zero. So as you're starting from zero, that acquisition fee puts gas in your car to go visit the property, to go have phone calls, uh, the conferences with the property management company, because you got to be able to survive until you make your exit. That's what the acquisition fee is for, is to make sure that the, the wheels are still turning and you still put, you know, the, the oil, the machine and the oil is being put in the machine so it can run. So then you can, you know, drive to the, to the target and to the goal. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that's pivotal. So now you're on your, your second acquisition. Um, you talked a little bit about retail. How, actually let's pivot from there and I'll get back to the retail. What is your... We won't hold you to it, but what is your predictions or thoughts about what the economy is going to do um, and far as like cap rates and, and prices that you're seeing on multifamily now? Yeah. So again, if you think about it, we were in such a period of historic low interest rates. It was abnormal. Yes. So in theory, even though this feels abnormal, this is closer to normal. <laughs> and a lot of people have just, you know, we got spoiled, right? It was three to four, five years of super low interest rates, tons of debt being poured into the projects in the community. And we've gone away from that closer to normal. Okay. So a lot of people are saying, oh, interest rates, everything's going to crash. It's not. This is, this is kind of normal, right? For a long time, you know, people underwrote deals and it was, now it's, Inflation is a bit scary. It's how multifamily, but if they don't get it somewhat under control, um, it's going to hurt the people that are living there, you know, and all the A's are going to move to B's and B's move, you know, everybody's going to have to downgrade because they can't afford to live there. Right. Um, and hopefully that, you know, doesn't happen to where Americans can't find things, places they can afford to live in that at least have some level of quality and safety for their families. Um, but strong operators that have experience with, you know, operating and grinding things out. You know, I don't sort of toot my own home, but I ground myself out for 10 months on a deal, right? Keeping it afloat, mm. keeping it alive, filling mm -hmm. apartments, you know, trying to get things done on a shoestring budget. You know, we just came out of the, you know, the, the I'm gonna call it the roaring 20s, you know, the whatever the roaring early 20s, where, you know, you didn't have to do much and you could make money. And people yep. were making more money. So we're going to go back to where real estate investment is still the best investment. It's just not insane, right? The, the last few years have been insane where 
you're getting that so reasonable. Um, And I think you got to be careful where, okay? So places that are in economic struggles, okay, um, are going to be tough to do good deals in, right? Just because they're not seen, you know, the great state of Texas is on fire. Arizona's on fire. Florida's on fire. The Carolinas are on fire. Who's not on fire? Everybody up north. Non-pro-business <laughs> states, non-pro-landlord states, high-tax states, they're not on fire. People are exiting. And so hopefully people understand that, that you know, for everybody to do well on those things, you need to be in, in places that are encouraging investment in, in people's homes, right? There's a housing crisis and a shortage, and that's why there's tax incentives on housing and do things. And I still think... You know, for, for Texas, man, there's people moving here, like we're way behind. So I feel very secure in the markets I'm investing that we're not going to not see any effect, right? We're just not going right. to be in the crazy roaring 20s again, but we're, we're, we're going to be okay. But I would right. be very careful investing in, you know, some more struggling areas, you know, areas where you're seeing people move out of. Um, yeah. you know, because it's just not sustainable, right? You you should only invest in markets where the population is growing and the income base is growing along with the population base. In other words, better jobs are coming, right? So population went up five percent and people's income went up five percent. That's oh, those two things line up, they look pretty good. Yep. I'm getting so many deals from the last three months from consistently from New York, Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, uh, Oklahoma. And Oklahoma, I don't think is as bad as the rest of them. I have to look at the numbers. And I'm seeing people have a lot of interest. I'm not going to say if they're doing deals or not. But I'm seeing so much interest from my peers into all of these states. And I mean, hopefully it's a good deal. Um, and hopefully it's got, it, had to, it had to pencil some kind of way because, you know, senior debt, you know, yeah. took an interest and, you know, started moving forward on it or closed on it. But that scares me. Um, the fund that we're, we're launching, hopefully probably within the next month or two, our real estate investment fund, we're focusing Texas, Florida, North, South Carolina, and Georgia um, because those are the markets that, you know, can bear the significant, or we're looking for significant growth, or at least steady growth, um, yeah. not stagnant or you know reversing. Um, let me see. Yeah, and in markets like Oklahoma, they're great markets and they're decent cash flow markets. They're just not a strong appreciation market. Yep. Um, man, that deal was so nice, but I was like, I don't think I want to. One of the few times a broker called me multiple times on a deal i'm like oh the oh how the uh the the, the shoes are are switching feet that <laughs> the broker's calling me six times to see if i'm i'm still interested in the deal um all right so do you have um ask you one or two more questions and then i want to open it up to um any questions from um our audience what Go actually, I did want to ask you this earlier. It's kind of the same question anyway. Going from a significant amount of experience in your passive investing, what is something that 
you learned, but as you learned it doing active investing, um, as a GP, you would have never thought this would have been a thing or it operated in such a manner. So I think that the, the most important thing is I'm very happy on deals where there's a lot of transparency from the GP team down to the LP team. You know, um, I want to know, I call it how the sausage is made. You know, a lot of people just want to eat the sausage. They want to see how the sausage is made. And so when I was an LP in deals that disclosed things and told you things and were not like had personal conversations about you. So now as a GP, um, that's a very important thing for me that we have this transparency and a high level of communication um, with our investors. And we don't only tell them the rosy things, right? We tell them, hey, listen, man, we've really struggled. We've got some serious delinquency. This is what we've done about it. Here's how we're transitioning out about it. Um, because that gives me more confidence in them than less. A lot of people think, oh, if you can, you can see my slip, you know, it's not gonna, you know, no, you need to like be transparent. That's the number one uh, response that I've gotten um, with anything kind of similar to that question. And I think, I, I truly believe you can have a failing deal, but if you have amazing communication, they'll reinvest with you. Um, because yes, you found that deal. Yes, you thought that deal was good enough. But I think the logical person will understand you can't really control the economics that push um, the metrics in your deal. You can't control whether job growth went up or went down because you bought this apartment. Now, it was your fault you bought the apartment, but disclosing, hey, you know, uh, rents are... Um, the people that are renting this month is down, you know, we're not seeing an increase or a steady turnover of apartments. I think the, the investors understanding that and hearing maybe the bad news, they'll understand, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not getting a distribution this quarter, or I might not make any money or see anything until the exit. Um, yeah. So yeah, that is, I've, I've heard that pretty much every episode that I've asked uh, a question. Uh, or and I've also question. learned the power of a preferred position. In other words, you get your money first, right? So mm -hmm. I, I like a deal where, you know, the bank gets their money first, the investors get their money second, and the GP team gets their money third. I want them to pay me first. It doesn't have to be all the money, right? So it can be a six, seven, eight percent crap position, but I want to see my money first. I want you to work really hard to get your money and I don't mind, a lot of people don't like them, but I don't mind a waterfall at the end too saying, hey, if we surpass a certain level, us as GPs are going to get rewarded with a little more. To me, that aligns the interest. You know, I'm in a deal that when they double my money, it goes to a 50-50 split. I'm rooting for them to double my money. Um, you know, I'm not rooting for them saying, oh, I hope it never gets to a double my money. <laughs> Uh, like think about that, that, right. Um, you know, double my money as fast as you can, baby, and get to that 50, 50 split. Yeah. Um, I'm a happy camper. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. All right. Um, everybody is off of mute. Um, before I see if anybody has questions, Trevor, do you have a gold nugget or gold nuggets that you want to share with? Um, the audience now and the audience that will be listening in the future. Yeah. So my gold nugget is always figure out what you can do for somebody else, not what they can do for you. 
um, be a giver. Um, there's a great book called The Go-Giver written by Bob Berg. It's an amazing book. And it talks about if you give people, you know, and, and even Jim Rohn said it, right? If you give people what they want, you'll get what you want. Um, right. you know, and it's very true. Right. I think I got that from, was it still How to Win Friends and Influence People? Yeah, no, it's Jim Rohn and his, uh, I'm not sure which book it's in, but uh, okay. yeah, that's Dale Carnegie, the other one. Okay. Um, cool. I appreciate that. All right. Now I will open it up. Um, so we're not keeping Trevor too long. I try to keep the episodes hour ish. Um, does anybody have questions and all the people, my amazing, um, returning podcaster people, I love you guys. And I appreciate you coming back. Who has questions or comments? Zig Ziglar, somebody wrote, so Jay wrote it in the Q and A. Um, biblical origin. Yeah, it's awesome. She also wrote earlier, and I tried to answer that she's doing senior assistant living in resort settings. So maybe I'm moving into her place because I <laughs> like resorts, you know. That's not out of the realm of possibility with some of the contacts we're making. We're like, we're, we're presenting this opportunity and they're thinking of it for themselves as well. It's funny. It's, it's yeah, And that sure means we're on the right track. So, well, hey, who doesn't want to put mom in the same place you'd want to be? Right? I agree. I mean, we're, we're always thinking of expanding that network. Yeah. I mean, I was brokenhearted when I couldn't put my mom in a, um, it was government regulated and they just said, this is where she's got to go. Um, and it broke my heart up in Canada. It's not quite the same as the land of the free here in America. And, you know, I tried to make the best of it by, you know, but man, it's yeah. Any other questions, comments, compliments? <laughs> it's funny, I was just on a call before this one and it came up here again, that first investor or that first breakthrough, even though you think they're all in in the beginning, something always happens because no one wants to be first. A, a mentor said, no one wants to be first and no one wants to be last because they see it's a great opportunity, but nobody wants to be first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that first deal is, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, Trevor, also, I wanted to say, I appreciate you sharing that you had a deal with a significant loss because um, nobody talks about the struggles and the issues that they have with their deals. Every deal is amazing. Every deal had a 22% IRR and so on and so forth. And you don't learn from success. You learn from your failures and your, your bad experiences, which gives you the results of success in the future. So I, yeah. I appreciate that and, a lot. And there is good news in that all the passive investors received hundred percent of their money back. Wow. Um, you know, they, they were not at risk. And so I talk about that again, that's another valuable thing. Even though the deal went bad, it went gone on this particular deal, they all got their money back. Um, now, unfortunately, we tied it up for a few months, hoping to close, but, um, and I'll be honest, almost all but two of my investors on that deal are in my current deal. Um, wow. You know, they, 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 you know, they, they were, you know, they almost, they felt worse for me than I did for myself. Even I felt wow. pretty bad for myself. <laughs> yeah. And two things. So one, probably because you communicated very effectively, very well. And two, they invested wisely. So it probably, it was money that they could afford to invest. They could technically afford to lose it. As I think 
GP should look at it as when they invest, knowing that it's not their last, we should treat it like it's their last or like it's mom's money. So yeah, I, and I can see, see you doing a very good job with that. Um, anybody have any questions or comments before we let Trevor go? Thanks for having me. And thanks to those that listened in, support us. Angel, I'm so excited for, man, it's in two days. Angel's coming to Houston to speak at our uh, investor meetup. I know, I'm, I'm sad I can't go. I'm at the old Capitol event up in Dallas. Um, well, and I had the date down wrong. I thought it was, I was going to be able to go to Houston on Wednesday, do the thing, like speak at the event Thursday. And then I was thinking it was Friday, Saturday, mm -hmm. but it's somebody else's thing is Friday, Saturday. And I can't remember whose it is at this point. Not that it, I, it doesn't really matter. I don't think I can squeeze it all in. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, I think that is it. So thank you, Trevor, for being on. And My uh, I will um, I will get this out to you. Give me a couple of days. I, I should be, I might be able to have it out to you tomorrow. But yeah, let me know. And uh, thank you again for being on the podcast. No, my pleasure. I love talking about and helping people learn about passive investing. It's one <laughs> of my passions. Thank you. All right, see everybody later. Thank you. Bye. See you. All right, bye. Thank you.